You're listening to Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org. We hope you are blessed by today's message. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Amen. Well, as last week we started uh, in our study in the distinctives, and so we're looking at kind of setting that foundation of who we are as a church, uh, what is it that we believe and why do we believe it, and, and, and how do we engage in that, and really looking at those foundational pieces. Last week we saw that church is more than a building. It's us as fellow Christians, it's brothers and sisters of the same faith in God, having accepted the gospel message, receiving Jesus as Lord. Each of us has gifts and talents and abilities that help bring strength to the body as a whole. And in obedience, we're glorifying God and we're sharing hope of the gospel message. If you guys want to grab, if you don't have a copy of that book, you can jump on the website, you can order it, or you can, there's a free PDF underneath the About Us part um, of the website, and you can just read that as well. But this is the book that we're kind of going through for the next few weeks, probably another five weeks after this, maybe five or six, depending on how things go, um, and how long-winded or short-winded the pastor is, and um, really looking at how church is developed and why we're doing things the way we do. Last week we saw that we're called. We're called first into relationship with Christ individually. That's your first calling. But we're also called into service. We saw how our hearts and our mindset must be, how may I serve you? That should be our priority. God, how may I serve you? And what it takes to respond to the call of the ministry when the enemy attacks and we know, and it was interesting last um, Sunday, how many people I prayed with after service that said, you know, I just recommitted my life to the Lord or I just gave my life to the Lord. We had one young man, he's like, I just gave my life to the Lord and then immediately ended up in the hospital. He was, a talking, he was talking about those attacks and those, those spiritual, the spiritual warfare that was going on. As soon as he decided that he was going to pursue God, the enemy came in. We have to know and understand that we've got to stay on point. We've got to stay in God's word. We've got to stay in communication with him. We've got to surround ourselves with other believers as we walk this journey. I encourage you to dig in, to not become distracted from what God has done in your life and what he's doing even now. And today we get to look at what we, or how we do church, what that foundational piece is. And in that, we've got to remember that our best approach in any time in ministry, any time as a church, is to simply teach the word of God simply. Those are Chuck Smith's words, consistently. Teach the word of God. Teach the word of God. Stay focused on the word of God. And as I'm learning in my own studies, that concept fits into a number of other areas as well. You've heard me talk about it as we've been pursuing worship ministry and what does that look like and, and that we've got to simply worship God simply. The reality is, is that we make life too complicated. We do things that make life harder, don't we? All of us do it. And so the idea is to start simplifying 
How better than to start by simply teaching God's word, to simply worship God? So what makes church work? Here's the formula. God-fearing people plus Holy Spirit-led organization and structure equals a living and effective church. There's a story of a new pastor in a small Oklahoma town. He spent the first four days making personal visits to each of his members, inviting them to come to his first services. The following Sunday, the church was all but empty. Accordingly, the pastor placed a notice in the local newspaper stating that because the church was dead, it was everyone's duty to give it a decent Christian burial. The funeral will be held on the following Sunday afternoon. Morbidly curious, a large crowd turned out for the funeral. In front of the pulpit, they saw a closed coffin smothered in flowers. After the pastor delivered the eulogy, he opened the coffin and he invited the congregation to come forward and to pay their final respects to the dead church. Filled with curiosity as to what would represent the corpse of a dead church, all of the people eagerly lined up to look in the coffin. Each mourner peeped into the coffin and then quickly turned away with a guilty, sheepish look. You see, in the coffin, tilted at the correct angle, was a large mirror. Ouch. What makes church work? Why does the church live? Why does the church die? God-fearing people plus Holy Spirit-led organization and structure equals a living and effective church. There's a reason we have leaders. There's a reason we have organization. What makes a church body die? And what makes it work and grow? I was in Assemblies of God youth pastor years ago. And uh, at that time, we had this big youth conference. We were in Grand Junction. And a, a young pastor and his wife came here and they met us at that conference. And they actually came into the Lakewood area and they planted a church years ago. They now have three campuses, now with thousands of people who attend. It's a mega church. The church that I was a youth pastor at didn't grow the same way that church did. Why? I mean, the theology was the same. The doctrine was the same. It was the same denomination. One church is still today the same size. The other one is a mega church. And not every church is called to grow like that. And some would argue that megachurches tend to be a mile wide and an inch deep. And as I've studied God's word, I see the importance of, of going deep into his word and, and applying his word. And as a church, I'm okay with us being an inch wide, but I want us to be a mile deep. I want us to go deeper into God's word and be focused on what it says and how it applies to our lives. So in that, it's simply teaching the word of God simply to start with. But even in that, it's about us getting together. We've got to be in community with other believers. In Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the exhortation for you, hold fast. 
Hold fast to what? To the hope that you have in Christ. You have a hope. Hold on to that hope. Don't let that hope go. God is faithful. The hope you have in Christ will sustain you. We've got to strive to stimulate each other, encourage each other. That's why I love the fact that we're not wearing masks now, right? So we can see faces. Because your smiles encourage me. Um, I like to smile back sometimes. Right? We, we need to see each other and engage with each other and encourage each other. Don't stop getting together. Don't stop stimulating each other in love and in good deeds. Encourage each other. And do it even more as you see the times around us. And we know the times around us are tumultuous, right? They're, they're rough. That should be a cause for us to step it up to encourage each other even more, to get into God's word a little bit deeper, to to spend more time with other brothers and sisters in the Lord. That should be what's driving us. But what happens in our own kind of human nature is that these things happen and we tend to kind of hide in a corner. I'm gonna go get my closet and shut the door. Yeah, I'm still gonna read the Bible and pray, but I'm gonna hide over here when the reality is now more than ever, we've gotta get out and we've gotta engage in our faith encourage each other. The reality is that the rapture of the church could happen at any time. Come Lord Jesus, come. Now's good. I'll wait. Maybe now. Regardless, Jesus' return is coming. Are you ready for it? Are you engaging? We've got to be doing everything we can to engage in God's word. We've got to do everything we can to be together as brothers and sisters in the Lord. So then what is the model? What is God's model for the church and the way church should be governed? I know it sounds like a a riveting Sunday morning message on church government. But there's a reality behind it and there's a strength in it and in the organization of it. The title of today's message is God's model for the church and church government. So there truly is a reason for biblical leadership and organization and maybe you've had a conversation with somebody and you're trying to share your faith with them and they, they tell you, well, yeah, I'm not into that organized religion thing. Oh, you're into disorganized religion. No, why, what is it that they're pushing back against? There's a reason for it to be there. 1 Corinthians 14, the first part of that verse, it says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Or in some versions it says of order, so your body right now is a living organism, right? It's, it's growing, it's moving, it's changing. Even as the older we, we get, it's still changing. The church is the same. It's a living and breathing organism. It's growing and it's changing. And over the years, I, I've built leadership teams and worship teams and staff and you get things all perfect and everyone's working together and everybody's loving each other and it's great and it's just happening and somebody leaves somebody moves somebody has a death in the family or something happens and you have to start all over again and it's funny because even in our process with looking for a worship leader I forget (laughs) that God has provided before over and over and over and over and over again he'll provide what we need in his timing so someone moves, we just, recently we said goodbye to Dwight. 
right? Dwight moved down to South Carolina. Dwight was our, our security guy. He was our go-to guy for men's discipleship and accountability. He was our guy to go to when you needed an oil change, um, flat tire fix. I mean, he was, our, he was our man. Like it takes six pairs of shoes to fill what he was doing here in the church all since he retired because I gave him stuff to do. But we said goodbye, and that caused a little bit of a stretch. But in that stretch and in that change-up, then it caused somebody else to rise up to leadership in a different area. So are we watching what God is doing in those times of change? Life changes. But even in that, there's organization, and, and we need to learn how to grow obediently in a godly fashion. We can't just fly by the seat of our pants. And it was funny, I was talking with uh, Matt. He's our youth leader last week, and we're talking about decisions that are made as a youth pastor versus <laughs> decisions made as a senior pastor, and how I don't set off pyrotechnics or drive Harley-Davidson's on platforms anymore, because I'm not a youth pastor. Uh, there's those things that we change and we do, and, and we can't just do it because we think about it. There's, there's a purpose behind what God does and an order to it. And God's not going to tell one person to do something that completely contradicts or invalidates what he's told somebody else to do. Something else that God will not do is that he's not going to command something that is contrary to his word. That's why it's important that we are in his word so we know what it says. So when we hear things, we can weigh it against God's word and we can rely on the Holy Spirit to give us discernment as to whether or not it's true. He truly is a God of order. And so there's purpose when he brings us together in fellowship with other believers. He has plans to use each of us. He, he has plans to use our gifts and our talents and our abilities together, unifying the body through the leading of the Holy Spirit. There's purpose. There's order. I know in our world today, people look at anyone who calls themselves a, a church or a, a Christian, they, they look at them as somebody, at us, as somebody who's out of touch with reality, right? I, as our book points out, that there have been many things that are evil that have been done in the name of Christianity under the flag of, of Christianity or of, under the flag of Jesus. I mean, you can read through history and see some pretty big things. I get aggravated every time Westboro Baptist shows up to protest a church or, or a funeral and where they're, they're just spewing hatred into the community. The media picks up on those stories and what do they say? Oh, now over here we've got this other bunch of crazy Christians again. Here they go. Watch what they're going to do. But that's not us. What does it mean to be a genuine follower of Christ and are we portraying that? That's what we've got to be. The reality is that every church is made up of imperfect people. I am not perfect, and I will fail. I am a human being. But my eyes are on God, and my heart is set to follow him. And I'm relying on the Holy Spirit to guide and to direct and to protect what I do. And that's all of us. And we need to encourage people to judge the church by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That should be evident in each of your lives. People should see and know and understand that you're a Christian just by meeting you on the street without you even have to say much. You don't have to give them the Romans road. Let the Holy Spirit do the work and speak through how your attitude and your actions are into their lives. 
When you look in the book of Revelation, less than 60 years after the church was founded, Jesus was calling the churches on the carpet. He, he was telling them that they needed to repent and take the, care of the flaws and the false doctrine that was happening within the church. 60 years. It, it didn't take very long for them to lose their first love and to become lukewarm. And the same for us today. We have to guard we have to guard against false doctrine and we have to take care of any issues that come up so we can keep our focus on the unity of Christ. Because that's why we try to deal with things biblically when they come up. If, there's, if your brother sinned against you, go to your brother, take care of that because we've got other things that we need to be working on. We have to be obedient to what God is calling us to do. And if we let all these things just kind of sit and fester, pretty soon it's gonna burn down that ministry that you're trying to accomplish. Chuck Smith, Chuck Smith said, so you can't look at church history and find the model for church, just like you can't look at the history of mankind and find God's divine intention for man. Man has fallen, and so you don't see the divine ideal. The same is true of the church. You don't see the divine ideal for the church by looking at the church. The reality is that God's model for the church is taken right out of the book of Acts. And we just finished our study on, on how they acted and interacted as Holy Spirit-filled believers. And Paul even tells the church in Coloss, in Colossians 1, 5 through 6, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you have previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you just as in all the world, also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. What does a successful church look like? It looks like the Acts church whom spread the gospel message throughout the world. That's what it looks like. It was a church that was filled with the Holy Spirit filled believers. It, it was a church that was led by the Holy Spirit at every turn. And what are we doing as a church personally? What are we doing to spread the gospel as Foothills Calvary? That's why we use the technology we have. We have live stream. The gospel message is going out. It's on the internet. It's out there. We have Facebook live. We go, we go live on Facebook and, and people are able to see the message and they hear the gospel on there. We have the recordings. They're able to come back to the website and see it there. We do everything we can to make sure that, that we uh, are ready to proclaim the gospel. We have the radio program as well. Right, the radio program goes out. The gospel message is being proclaimed. We have the outreach that we've been doing to the apartments behind us, taking food, taking Easter stuff. We have Easter outreaches. We have the trunk or treat, the harvest festival stuff that we do. It's all about proclaiming the gospel. It's the foster care ministry. It's about bringing hope into a place where, where kids are hurting and lost or where parents are feeling like they're struggling and they need help. It's doing everything we can as a church to share the gospel. It's why we have evangelism classes so we can encourage each other on how to share our faith and to do it effectively and boldly. Even this study caused me to pause and ask, do we really rely on the Holy Spirit as, as much as the Acts Church? And at every turn, they, they paused and, and they asked for the Holy Spirit's direction. 
In Acts 13, two through three, it says, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to the work which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. They were looking for direction from the Holy Spirit as who to send, who to engage in ministry. Acts 15, 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. And that was in their teaching. Holy Spirit, would you guide us in, in how we teach and the information they need to have and, and what we need to help them understand as we disciple them and teach them. Then Acts 16, 7, as they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. The Holy Spirit stopped them from moving forward. You think for a minute, is there a time where you feel like God just shut a door all of a sudden and you were kind of mad that the door got shut? Could it be that the Holy Spirit was stopping you from moving into a place that you weren't supposed to go? Are we even looking for that? Are we watching? These men sought after the Holy Spirit. They were consistently directed. They were obedient. They they walked passionately and, and with authority in what God had called them to do, always seeking for the direction of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 4, it says that they were persecuted and they stopped, they prayed, they sought the Holy Spirit and then they boldly proclaimed the gospel. So the question for you then is this, when is the last time you felt that persecution? You felt that the the enemy, the devil was pressing in on you. What did you do when that happened? How did you respond? Did you ask God for guidance? Did you ask the Holy Spirit to to fill you and strengthen you, to direct you? I would dare you to do that. When you feel that pressure come, I dare you to ask, oh, Holy Spirit, will you fill me? Will you strengthen me so I can do the right thing mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, Lord? Will you strengthen me so I can do what you want me to do? Pray that with expectation and watch what God does. We see that perfect model of what the church should be in Acts 2.42. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. If you and I want to grow in our faith and fulfill God's call on our life, we've got to be consistent and we cannot lose perspective. Eyes on God, eyes on his word. Jesus gave us a mission, and to fulfill it, we've got to regularly get together. We've got to be together under the instruction of God's word. We've got to be worshiping together, encouraging each other through fellowship. We've got to be breaking bread together and be praying with and for each other. And you've heard me say it before, and you'll hear me say it consistently. And even this morning, again, we met before first service, and we, we circle up and we pray pray for the, the service, we pray for you, we pray for what God is going to do in the services, and then we've been breaking them up into groups of three and four, Say pray with each other, and then I challenged them today, on top of that, once you're done praying with and for each other, be watching for somebody else to pray with before you leave this building, because we need to pray with and for each other, it brings encouragement, and brings strength, and I know it sounds like a repeat, because <clears throat> it is. And I'm going to keep repeating it because we need to do it. And we need to pray with and for each other. 
We have to remember then we have to be together. God never calls us. He never calls you and I into a life of solitary, solitary confinement in our faith. You don't become a Christian and get to go hide. You become a Christian and you start walking with other believers. You start looking for other believers and encouraging other believers and then you start looking for others who need Jesus as well. That's how we become all that he has created us to be. You remember our earlier verse, you know, Hebrews 10, 24, consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Everybody in this room can do that. Who are you encouraging? I used to pray over my kids all the time before school, before I let them out of the car. I pray that God would help them to be an example and an encouragement to their teachers, to the students that they go to class with, that they would be an example and an encouragement for Christ. You and I are to be the same thing. How are you doing at this? Are, are you being an example? Are you encouraging others to do good things, to make wise choices? That's why I have Pam in, with me in the truck, right? To help me make wise choices as people are driving not so good. As she grabs my arm. Okay, Pastor Scott. She's encouraging me to do good. I have four-wheel drive. I could run them over. No, I don't do that. Do good, Scott. That's what we're supposed to do for each other, to encourage each other to do good, to encourage each other in our walk with the Lord. And when we do this as a church, then we're going to experience what Acts 2.47 says, the Lord is the one who adds to the church. As you read through the book of Acts, you see that they were growing. Why were they growing? Because they were in God's word. They were committed. They were committed to fellowship. They were committed to breaking bread. They were committed to prayer. They were doing good acts. They were encouraging each other to do the same. And that's contagious. That, that's more contagious than the coronavirus. Right? Can we be Jesus to other people and be so full of the Holy Spirit that they've got to have some of that? Will you share that with me? We don't have to be part of a marketing campaign. I know Nori will love this, one of your elders, because a while back we talked about having a director of marketing, which really is just the title, but it's who's gonna handle Facebook and who's gonna handle the technology stuff really was what that title was. But we don't have to be part of a marketing campaign. It, it, it might help short term, but we lose focus so quickly. We, we expect some kind of gimmick or program of the month club to grow the church. It's the same process with diets, right? How many diets are out there and which one are you gonna buy into next? The church of the month program. I grew up in a church that did that. We even did the, the purpose-driven church program. Anybody do that one? No? Then we had purpose-driven life and purpose-driven whatever. He made lots of money and paid back the church for all of his years of salary because all the money we were giving him. Church of the month. Every time we would try to do something, if there weren't good enough results within six months, that pastor would, well, he'd present a different program. Oh, well, let's try this one instead. This will grow the church. Let's do this one. And then there were no results. Okay, well, let's do this one instead, and, and it'll grow the church. And it didn't. And so we scrapped that one, and we try something else. The reality is we need the genuine power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our churches. We need to be genuine believers who proclaim the gospel message. That's how the church grows. That's how God's kingdom grows. 
That's how Calvary Chapel grew. It was a genuine move of the Holy Spirit after they met together in God's word and they had fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. And that's how this church will be built as well. We'll stay focused on God's word. We'll simply teach the word of God. We'll simply spend time with brothers and sisters in the Lord. We'll simply break bread together. We'll simply pray with and for each other and we'll watch God grow the church individually and corporately. Watch how God builds the church. You remember when we were meeting at the CCU Music Center, some of you know, some of you don't, um, I had our security team counting people and parking spaces, like continually, because we were looking at, okay, if we go, if we are able to move into a space that's our own, that we have more freedom with, we need to know how many chairs we need and how many parking spaces. And can we, you know, it was a logistical thing, and then figure that out. Well, then we get a chance to move up here. Well, we didn't really need to count because of, we have enough space, but we did have to count because of COVID. So then we've got to make sure, okay, do we have 50 people in the building? And now is that 50 in here? And 20, yeah. So I have them counting again. They're still counting. And then we kind of got over that, and I still had them counting, seeing who, you know, who's here. And, and literally on one Sunday morning, you ever, guys ever get, does God ever thump you on the head, or is it just me? Right? I, I just thump. And I'm walking through the foyer, and I just finished talking to Kiersey earlier about you know, who's doing the count for today or whatever. And God went, boom, stop counting. And I heard it clear as, clear as day. Stop counting. I will bring who needs to be here. You teach my word. I'll take care of the rest. Last time I counted. I'm not counting. I'm not. Because God's the one that's in control. And it really, you've been prayed over. Your seats have been prayed over. If you're sitting in that seat, God has you here for a reason and a purpose. And that's what we're gonna rest on. That's what we're gonna focus on. Some churches still have the traditional churches. They've got that big board. You guys ever been to one of those? Up on the side, and it's got, you know, attendance, um, salvations, baptisms, um, how far behind an offering they are. Um, it's all up on that board. The reality is that the number doesn't matter. And as I say every Sunday, you're here for a purpose. You're not here by accident. God has something for you today. It's a challenge then for me, for those who are serving, a challenge for us to make sure that we're being obedient to the Holy Spirit, that we're being faithful in our services, that, that what we're doing is truly portraying Christ and not some gimmick. We're not gonna become a church that is all about big screens, skinny jeans, and fog machines. And then I'm getting really guilty because I feel like my jeans are skinnier than I like them. I noticed that after first service. <laughs> to get my bell bottoms back out. In the book of Acts, we saw that some problems arose around the benevolence of the church. And, and as we look at what the church is developing and how leaders came into place, the Greek widows felt that they were being discriminated against. And it's here that we see the beginning of expanded church leadership. Acts 6, 3-4, Therefore, brethren, select from among 
among you seven men with good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And I've had to read that often because I get so busy and bogged down with other things that I forget, what is my purpose? I'm supposed to be praying and, and, and diving into God's word and going deeper. And sometimes I complicate things and I get too busy. As church leadership is built, it's got to reflect the importance of God's word. And even as we came into this space, into this new building, you know, on my background, my tent making skills are construction. I can, I can lay down some paint. I can nail two by fours together. I can bend nails with the best of them. Hi, this is Pastor Scott from Foothills Calvary. I hope the Lord is speaking to you through today's message. I wanted to just take a second and invite you to join us for worship services at Foothills Calvary. We meet Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. If you'd like more information on Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. Now let's get back to our study. I pray that the Lord will continue to speak to you by his Holy Spirit. And, and when we got in here, one of our brothers, who's a construction guy, he was in first service. He says, okay, Scott, I know as you look at all this, because he came and walked it. And he's like, what projects do we have to do? He goes, I, I know you want to do this work, but you can't. You can't do it. Your job is to study God's word and to pray and to teach. And he was right. I mean, I think I've, I've done some little things here and there. That's kind of fun. I've painted only one wall. Well, that's boring. But he was right. And those words echo in my ears still, and I have to remember. And remember that God is positioning men and women within our church that are here to serve and to do things for service to the Lord. And to allow them to do those things and encourage them in their, in their walk. And there's men and women who come in and take on some of that ministry load. And each one of them pointing people to Christ, even through that work. In the process of building the church, God also used miracles to point people to Jesus. But the ministry as a whole is not about the miracle. It's about God's word. It's about pointing people to Jesus, even in the midst of that miracle. So everything we do, it's got to be Jesus first. He's got to be the focus in what we do. If, if we lose that, if we let that slip aside, then, then we're sliding into what the world is doing in dismissing Christ. God's word from Genesis to Revelation is all about Jesus. It was awesome yesterday as the worship workshop was going on and um, I was working in my office and every once in a while I kind of peek my head out or I'm listening because right across, Cindy's got the, the vocalists over there and they're singing and I can hear Cody in the other room and they're talking technology and I come down here and, and um, Marcel's, you know, trying to get everybody on the same beat and um, just watching what God was doing was encouraging and and. I know it was 20 plus, and I don't remember how many people we actually had that came to the workshop, but not that I'm counting. I wasn't counting. Sorry about that. Um, but but it, was, it was fun to see what, what God was doing. There's, there's audio visual, there's instruments, there's vocalists, there's an all wide range of, of, of education in those areas. 
Some are new to a lot of it. But getting a glimpse to see all, how all those pieces work together, the gifts and talents and abilities, and that it's not just about standing up here and singing a song, playing the guitar, that's easy. No, there's, there's a lot to it. And it was awesome to be able to see all these gifts and talents and abilities being used to glorify Jesus. And I sat back in the back at the end of um, kind of the session and I'm watching and they've got everybody up and they're engaging everybody. So the vocalists are switching out and instrumentalists are switching out and the AV team is doing their thing and, and just watching and seeing. So when you see a nine-year-old on a bass guitar, I don't know how old the oldest person on the stage was, I won't ask, but there was a wide range up here of people just wanting to glorify God. And, and it was good. And I just sit back there, I began to weep, just thanking God. Because it's raw. Some of it was raw. Some of it was raw. But it was so, so good. Because the heart was, well, I just want to worship Jesus. And that's what we need. Success for me, well, I'm going to go back to that, the theme. Cindy had asked me, what's the theme? What do, what do you want us to say a theme? What's the vision for for worship and really it went back to simply worship God simply and yeah there's moving parts and there's a lot of production things that still happen in, in every church in every ministry but can we just worship God at the end of it and be simple success for me it's watching people engage in faith and worshiping God and as I sat back there and I just listened it was amazing the same thing of, of watching you guys engage with each other in between services. You know, we do a lot of good things up here. We pray and we give the word and we worship and we're up front for a little bit. And we're ready to pray with you. And, and a lot of times people don't come down front and that's okay. God will get you later. Like in the foyer. Because when I walk out and there's half a dozen of you praying with each other out in the foyer, that's success. That's ministry. That's you guys being obedient to the Holy Spirit moving in and through you and ministering to each other. It shows that, that God is working. And it's awesome to be out in that foyer, and especially after second service. Between services, it's hard because we want to get everybody in here for worship. After second service, there's people that are here until 3 o'clock just hanging out. I mean, it's not even food. There might be some leftover cookies. But they want fellowship. And that's powerful when we have fellowship together and we love on each other. As I said last week, it's encouraging to me, it's encouraging to our leaders to see that happening. Although it is okay to still get into the sanctuary between services before the starts. <clears throat> yeah, just saying that. Don't lose perspective. What is the best way to build a church? We'll start back in your study of the book of Acts and look at how the church was built. The book of Acts gives us the model for the church, a church led by the Holy Spirit, the teaching of the word, developing of oneness, that's fellowship or koinonia. It's a church that's breaking bread together and praying together. The rest, well, the rest is his work and he'll do it. Remember, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things will be added. He'll take care of them. He will add daily to the church those who should be saved. Right, there are some days, and in the last four years, there are days where we've had six people respond to the altar call and give their lives to the Lord. And there's been times where there's been none, zero, 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 one. 
and then two, and then none, and then somebody from the radio, and somebody from the internet, right? All we're to do is, is trust in God, stay in the word, and allow him to draw people in, in his timing. We just need to stay focused on the main thing, the gospel message, and operate in humility. So that's God's model for the church, but what about church government? Such a riveting subject for a Sunday morning, church government. In the New Testament, it doesn't give us a clear picture of God's preference for church government, but we have to remember God is a God of order, and there are basic forms of church government. There's one is a rule by bishops or overseers. The Greek is episcopus. 1 Timothy 3.1. It is a trustworthy statement that if any man aspires to, do the, to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. Or then there's a, a group of gifted men called a presbyteros or elders. Acts 14.23. When they had appointed elders for, for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So the New Testament seems to show both forms, bishop and elder. But that clashes a little bit. Is the church to be led by a bishop or is it to be led by the board of elders? And we have two denominations now that represent these, the Episcopal and the Presbyterian churches. Both sides have valid points for leading the way they do, for doing church how they do. And then we have what's called congregational rule. This third type has no biblical standing. There's no biblical example. In Exodus and Numbers, we see that the congregation rose up and murmured against Moses and Aaron. Moses responds in Numbers 14, 27 to the murmuring and says, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I have heard the complaints of the sons of Israel, which they are making against me. So congregation rule didn't work out very well. We also see theocracy, and that is people who are ruled by God, right? It's God first. That fell apart with the Israelites when they became upset with God, and they wanted a king like all the surrounding countries. But then there's another example of theocracy. Under God, there was a man called Moses. Moses, a leader among men. He listened to God for all things. He, he got guidance and direction from God. He got the laws and the rules for the nation of Israel from God, right? The Ten Commandments came from Moses, right? He went up and God gave him those. And all the people took all of their problems to him because they knew that God spoke to Moses on a daily basis. The demands became too great for Moses to handle so then Jethro, his father-in-law, he saw it. He gave him some sound advice. He said to get the elders and, and that they would have some anointing, the same anointing as, as Moses did. And the elders would be able to answer some of those questions. And if there was something that was too hard, well, then they would take it to Moses. And then he would seek the Lord. So that's the form of government that God established for Israel. And today in the church, we see somewhat of the same uh, form. It's, it's modified a little bit. Jesus is the head. Uh, the pastors are in Moses' position or place, in, in touch with Jesus, receiving his direction and his guidance. And pastors should be leading in such a way that is evident that the Lord is in control, not man. 
This is the setup for Calvary Chapel government. If you want to know how Calvary chapels are run across the United States and around the world, it is in the Mosaic leadership model. Jesus, pastor, then elders. And you guys have elders here. Uh, Nori Bush, uh, Keon Sheffield, and then Pastor Nate Morris, our founding pastor. Those are the elders of this church. All of these men provide support for me and vision. Uh, they, they support the vision that I have for the church and for the body and for our community, and they pray over me, and they give direction, and they hold me accountable um, as I teach, even bringing correction. Um, Nori is like our scholar, right? He'll meet me at the altar at the end of service if I said something wrong. The first time he did it, he sent me an email, and I was offended because I asked for accountability, and he gave it to me, and I grumped at God, and God said, that's why he's there, to keep me on track. So there's accountability, right? We all like to be held accountable until we're the ones not holding someone accountable. We're held accountable. I take almost everything to them. They, hold, they don't need to know according to our bylaws. I don't have to take everything to them. I, as the pastor, make the decisions. I am open, an open book to them. We have open communication every week, and I take everything to them. Hey, here's what's going on. Here's what we're doing. Here's the direction we're going. Here's what God's doing. Here's how God provided. Here's where I need some help and some guidance, and they're right there every step of the way. I've received wise counsel from all three men. Elders are chosen very carefully. We didn't just line everybody up and go eeny, meeny, miny, mo. These were men who were already serving in the body. They were already doing ministry before they were ever asked to, to hold on to a title. It's not about a title. These elders that you have, they serve God passionately. I've surrounded myself with men of God who don't always tell me yes, which sometimes makes me grumpy. That's what they're there for. And so they bring in strength where I'm weak. Where I have struggles, they have strengths, and vice versa. But the same carries over to you guys as well. And my exhortation to you is that you would surround yourself with people who will give you strength, will bring strength to those areas that you struggle in so you can grow in your walk with the Lord. You also need to have people around you that would even tell you, no, don't do it. We need that encouragement. We need people who will hold us accountable. So as the pastor, underneath the Calvary Chapel model, I make most of the decisions, but I have the board to seek spiritual wisdom from, and I also use them as a buffer. I take an issue to them, they give me wisdom, they make a decision, and I convey that decision as one that the board has made in unison. So an example would be us even moving into this space. It wasn't me walk, driving by seeing, oh, that looks like a great place, let's go there. It was us as a board praying, looking at everything, weighing the circumstances, weighing the finances. Okay, Lord, is this where you're leading us? And stepping out in faith. Our bylaws and a board are set up to keep the utmost integrity and accountability. And my door is always open. If you don't know where my door is, it's on the other side of the wall over there. Come see me. Love to chat with you.
Chuck Smith says, I believe this is God's model for church government. The pastors ruled over by the Lord, recognized by the congregation God's, as God's anointed instrument to lead the church, the board guiding and directing every step of the way. I am to minister to the needs of the people on a daily basis, and if you saw my calendar or my phone, or some of you have been in my office multiple times, you know that that's what God has called me to do. And, and I'm excited to be part of that and what he's doing. But there's times where I have to ask the elders to engage in ministry as well, because I can't do everything. So we have pastors, we have elders, then we have deacons. Pastors and elders are the spiritual leaders, and the, the deacons are those with the ministry of helps, those who lead a different ministry team that, that they would fit here. That's the men's ministry, women's ministry, the security team. It's, it's all those pieces, the guys who do the building maintenance stuff, it, it, youth ministry. It's, it's all of those servants that are there. They're a very important part of making sure that, that ministry happens here on a weekly basis. This Thursday, it's all hands on deck as we minister to, to Lois's family by hosting her mom's memorial service. It, it takes all of us. We do the good things, we've talked about that, baby dedications, those are fun, baptisms, that's a blast. Memorial services, funerals, harder times, hospital visitation, it takes a team of people working together with their eyes fixed on Christ. There's another reason that we all need to abide in Christ as we walk in faith and that is so that we're not disqualified. Any of us can fall at any time. That's why it's imperative that we stay focused on God and on his word. It's why I have and I invite the accountability of your elders and even accountability from you. I'm a human being. I will fall. All of us will. But what are we supposed to do when we fall? And I used their daughter, Lucy, who was, was up front here, if she's cruising along and she trips and she falls and scrapes her knee, what does she do? Well, she cries probably. I mean, I don't know. I haven't heard her cry, but she might cry a little bit. But she gets up, mom or dad get it wiped off or she gets wiped off and what does she do? Goes right back to what she was doing. As believers, as followers of Christ, we've got to do the same thing. We're all going to fall. We're all going to stumble. We're all going to trip. Get up and get back to where you were. Get back on the scooter and go because you've got things to do. God has a purpose and a plan, so don't get caught up. Don't get tripped up. Invite accountability into your life, even if it's painful. We all need it. It was funny. Last night, I told Pastor Nate that when he had uh, called me and said that I needed to be the pastor of this church, he didn't really tell me everything about being the pastor of the church. Like, hey, here's a pulpit. Have that. Have fun. But the spiritual warfare that increases, the, the things that happen, the, the, the workload that's there, what does that look like? There's so much uh, uh, to do and on a weekly basis, and, and it takes really all of us doing ministry together, and I can't do it without you. I can't do ministry without you guys engaging and being a part of what we do. It is us as a ministry. This isn't Scott's house. <laughs> this is God's house, and we get to do ministry together under the same roof, and I need you to engage in ministry with me. So the pressure is on me to seek the direction of the Holy Spirit, to walk forward boldly, leading, as a, leading us as a congregation. So the mosaic form of church government is what Calvary Chapel adheres to. 
And that's what we as Foothills Calvary walks under. So the challenge is for us to live our lives, surrender totally to God, ready to serve wherever he leads, and always aware that the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. So my ask of you this morning is that you would seek the direction of the Holy Spirit in every area of your life. Ask the question, God, should I do this? God, is this where you're leading me? God, would you bring provision and favor? Would you bring clarity of mind? Take it to the Lord. I would also ask you to, say, to ask God about serving, even here in this body. There's a lot for us to do. We get more accomplished together. Next week, we get to uh, take on our study in the Holy Spirit and building the church in God's way. And I'm excited for us to get into what the gifts of the Spirit are and how we use those, and how they're still alive and active today in our body, in our church. And it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's how the church is built. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you again for your word. We thank you again that, that your word is a, alive and powerful. It just is alive and powerful now as it ever was. And we thank you that throughout biblical history, even in our world history, that you raise up men of God who simply want to teach the word of God simply. We thank you for the example of people like Chuck Smith and other pastors who have come out who stand strong on the gospel message. Lord, I ask that you help us develop, to develop Christians in such a way that would bring strength and glory and honor to your kingdom. Develop within us the servant that you want us to be. Develop us, Lord, into the worshipers that you want us to be. So, Lord, I ask that you put within our hearts that we would all simply teach the Word of God, that we would be creative and, and simply spend time in fellowship with brothers and sisters in the Lord, that we would remove some of those things that are blocking us from just simply breaking bread together and, and having communion together, celebrating the Lord's Supper together. Help us to remember with heartfelt love and gratefulness what you did on the cross. Help us to be ready to simply pray with and for each other. And in doing all those things, Lord, watching you grow the church individually and corporately. So Father, we just ask that that you help us to walk through life with our eyes and our hearts set on you. Maybe you're here today or you're listening online right now. You don't have a relationship with God or maybe even, you've even pushed back from it. Maybe you've had a bad experience within the church and, and you've pushed away from God. Today's the day that you can take care of that. Today's the day that you can get things right with God. The gospel message is the fact that that God made the heavens and the earth and they were perfect, it was good. He made man and woman and they were good. But then Satan brought destruction into that garden 
brought sin. And that sin broke the relationship between God and man. And ever since then, we try to fill that void that has been created. Try to fill it with uh, alcohol, with drugs, with money, with sex, with pornography, with material things, with religion, thinking that if you go to church or you do enough religious things that you'll be okay, all those things will decay again and fall away. The only thing that'll fill that gap, that'll fill that void is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus came from heaven to earth and as soon as his feet hit the earth, they were walking towards the cross where he knew he was going to die on that cross where his blood would be shed for your sins and my sins. He would die, he would go to the tomb where three days he would be raised again. And he's now with the Father in heaven. Because of that act, we have the freedom and ability to repent. That is to ask for forgiveness of our sins and to turn from those sins and have a restored relationship with the Father. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you this morning, I, I just want to read Romans 10, 9, and 10. If that's you this morning, you are going to have a conversation in a second with God, your heart to his heart, because his word says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart the person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So if that's you this morning, you need to either make things right with God or have a first-time relationship with God, I'm gonna ask you to pray something like this with me. Hey, dear Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me and I believe you're alive today. I confess that you are Lord. I'm sorry for my sins, forgive me. Come into my life and be Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and, and help me to be bold Use me to share the hope that I have with others. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer in this room or you prayed it online or on the radio, let me know. If you prayed online, you can email me, Scott, foot, Scott at foothillscalvary.org and I'll reach out to you as well. This has been Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. We hope you were blessed by today's message. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org.